0: If you've ever sat down and browsed through the Guinness Book of Records, which I quite like to do, you know that there's some people with some really crazy ambitions. One of those games that we used to play growing up is we used to read through the Guinness Book of Records and try and outdo each other with who could find the weirdest record. Have you ever done that? Like uh, Lee Redmond, who has the world's longest fingernails, 8.6 metres long. Or Thomas Blackthorne, who holds the record for the heaviest weight dangled from a swallowed sword, 25 kilograms from a sword sticking out his mouth. Anthony Victor from India, India, whose claim to fame is that his ear hair pokes out his ears by 18 (laughs) centimetres. Or Ken Edwards from England, who ate 36 cockroaches in one minute. Now people just have all sorts of crazy ambitions in life, if not just to get in the Guinness Book of Records, some more crazy than others. But I wonder though, if you have an ambition in life, something that you live for, and I wonder what it is, it might not be to grow the world's longest fingernails, but we all have ambitions. What are your goals thinking ahead for the next year? Do you have any? What do you hope to achieve by the end of your life? Last week, you might remember, in the opening of Mark, we were thinking about repentance. I think answers to the questions about your life's ambition reveal to what extent you've actually repented. See, the, the answer to questions about your ambitions in life will show, at the deepest centre of you, whether your ambition is a desire to live for God and so his ambitions are reflected in your ambitions, or whether in the end you're just still living for yourself. Repentance is turning our life around. To repent is to replace our ambitions with God's, and that's why today's passage is really so important for us. Because in this section of Mark's Gospel, as Al has already alluded to, we get to see the ambitions and the priorities of Jesus. Jesus' ambitions and priorities um, we're going to look at them in a little while, but I think they're wrapped up in this phrase, the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus was on about, the kingdom of God. And that's what we need to be on about if we follow him. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1 if you're not there already. And we pick it up this week at verse 14. Mark 1, 14. Jesus starts preaching about the kingdom of God. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Good news there is just the word gospel, a very important message, proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God, which we're introduced to here, simply means the rule of God. It's not so much a place like the kingdom of Bhutan or the kingdom of Thailand, but the rule of God, where God is king. In the Old Testament, which we were looking at last week, there was an expectation that God would come and set up his kingdom, establish his rule. Jesus says, verse 15, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. And that's what we're witnessing here in Mark. That's why there's so much action. That's why there's so much power. The king has arrived. And that's why Jesus has such incredible authority, as we just heard read. Not just in his teaching, but in his actions. In fact, it's the first thing that people notice about him. Look at verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came... Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. Why? Verse 22. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. When Jesus opens his mouth, his teaching is like nothing they've ever heard. Somehow in his words, they recognize his authority as king. And as we read on, his authority is not just in his teaching, is it? He's the king. And so even the evil spirits recognise his power. Verse 23. There's the man in the synagogue possessed by an evil spirit. He cries out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other. And again, look at what they say, verse 27. What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him. And as we read on in this really action-packed section of Mark's gospel that authority is demonstrated again and again verse 29 authority over sickness he heals Simon's mother-in-law of a fever we have doctors who can heal people with medicine but not like this with just a command and verse 40 a man with leprosy comes to Jesus and begs him on his knees if you're willing you can make me clean and 41 filled with compassion Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Total, uncontested authority. The kingdom of God is near because the king is here. And that king is Jesus. I've discovered this weird show on TV the last three or four weeks called UFC Unwired. And it's, it's, a, it's a fighting match where there's two fellows in a cage and it's a bit of kickboxing and a bit of jiu-jitsu. It's really weird. But they actually fight it out till one of them is knocked out or strangled or forced into submission. I wouldn't really suggest that you watch it. Most of the pri- fights are pretty close. They maybe go for a few minutes or sometimes a few rounds But sometimes the two fighters are so unequally matched, the fight is just no contest. One hit and the other guy hits the ground. With Jesus here, there is no contest. There's no debate. Demons, sickness, leprosy, evil spirits, whatever Jesus says, they just do. He's totally in charge. He's totally unbeatable. And we're catching here a preview of the power that Jesus has as king in God's kingdom. And so when he says, repent, turn your life around and believe the kingdom of God is near, you'd better do it. Although did you notice that I said we're getting a preview of the kingdom of God? Did you notice that Jesus said the kingdom of God is near? not here. That's an important little distinction because in the ministry of Jesus we are not witnessing the complete coming of the kingdom of God. We're up to point two on your outline if you're following along. A preview of the kingdom. What we're seeing in Jesus is like a movie trailer, a preview of the kingdom that is coming in the future. It's near in the person of Jesus but it's not here yet for good. Because when God's kingdom comes fully, this is what it will look like totally. No more evil. All sickness gone. Everyone who is in the kingdom will have their sins forgiven. All disease gone. Everyone in the kingdom will be healed. When the kingdom comes, that's what it will be like. But that day is in the future. And as we read on in Mark's Gospel, we see that probably most clearly at the Last Supper, at the Passover meal, don't look it up, but in Mark 14.25, you might want to jot that down, Mark 14.25, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. See, for Jesus, the kingdom of God is fully coming after his death, after his resurrection, after his return. One Corinthians fifteen fifty, similar passage talking about the coming of the kingdom of God, and it says, I declare to you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. In other words, the kingdom of God comes on the day when we get our new bodies, when Jesus returns. Revelation twenty one talks about a similar thing a day of no more mourning, no more sickness. When Jesus sits on his throne in the new heaven and the new earth. One day, on that day, we will be able to say the kingdom of God is here. Finally, fully, completely. In Jesus, we had a preview of that. The kingdom of God was near. While Jesus walked on this earth, we had a glimpse into what it will be like when he returns. And it's a great picture, isn't it, of wholeness, of healing, of healing of restoration, of being made what we were meant to be. But as good as that is, and it is really good and really attractive, especially when you've had the flu all week, that is not Jesus' main priority here. Jesus' main priority is not to bring in the kingdom of God by healing people. Did you notice that as the passage was read? Jesus' main priority is not to bring in the kingdom of God by healing people, his main priority is that people might be taught about the kingdom of God so that when it does come fully, they can be a part of it. Now we see that most clearly just down in verse 35 where Jesus is faced with the decision. Jesus has to choose between healing and preaching. All of Jesus' healing and driving out demons has led to a flurry of activity that actually starts to get in the way of Jesus' teaching. Look what happens after Jesus heals Peter, Peter's mother, just back in verse 32. That evening, after sunset, in other words, the Sabbath day is now over, so legally Jesus can heal now. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town, gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. News has spread that Jesus can heal. The whole the whole town gathers at the door. Not to hear what he's saying, but to get healed. All the sick people come. As you would. And Jesus heals them because he can and because he wants to. He's compassionate and because he's demonstrating his power as king. There's lots of good reasons for him to heal, and he does, but it's starting to be a problem. There's so many people coming wanting to be healed, it may hinder his ability to teach. In fact, we see that as we read on in Mark's Gospel. From now on, when Jesus heals people, he starts to give warnings not to tell anyone. In verse 44, after he heals the leper, he, uh, gives, he, he says not to tell anyone about it. In chapter 5, after he heals the dead girl, he gives strict orders not to let anyone know about it. And in chapter 7, with the deaf man, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. Do you see? Too many people know about it. But back to Mark 1, it's crunch time for Jesus here. What will be more important? Continuing to heal hundreds of people who've come in the hope of being made better or to continue Teaching about the kingdom of God. Verse 35. Jesus prayerfully makes his decision. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you! Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is a surprising point, isn't it? A whole town of sick people to heal, and Jesus decides to leave them all behind and go to another town. Does that even make you a little bit disappointed? I I must admit, in that children's talk, when the doctor put up the sign saying closed, I felt sorry for all those people. I felt disappointed. And that's because we either overvalue physical healing or we undervalue the kingdom of God. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus is very clear of his purpose. That is why I have come. Jesus' main priority is not to bring in the kingdom of God by healing people it's to teach people about the kingdom of God so that when it does come fully they can be part of it and of course he'll heal people along the way because he's the king and he can and he's extremely compassionate but that's not his main priority because being healed doesn't get people into the kingdom it gives them a wonderful taste of what the kingdom of God is like but it won't get them in What gets people in the kingdom? Repent and believe the gospel. Verse 15, the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And not only did Jesus teach about it so that people might enter the kingdom, he died for it. So committed was he. Jesus gave up his life as a ransom, as we read on in Mark's gospel, so that people who don't deserve it, like you and me, can get into the kingdom of God. Last week we saw, didn't we, that God wants everyone to be ready when his kingdom comes. He doesn't want people to be caught out. The problem is, we can't get ourselves ready. It's such a deep change, we can't do it on our own. That was the problem with the nation of Israel. As we read on, we say they can't repent. They couldn't make God the centre of their lives. They're too selfish. That's our problem too. It's such a deep change. We can't do it on our own, but Jesus makes it possible by his death. He died so that we can be forgiven for our wrong, so we can be set free from our slavery to sin. He died so that we can die to our old ambitions, crucify our old life, start again living with him as our king. That's what this passage is all about. The power of the kingdom of God in Jesus. A preview of how good the kingdom of God will be and the priority of preaching the good news of the kingdom. And I think the question for us from today's passage is simply, Is that what we're on about? Are we consumed by the kingdom of God? What is your ambition in life? What are your dreams and plans for the next year or two? Is there something that you'd like to achieve before you die? What are your ambitions at work? What are your hopes for your children? Because how you answer those questions will show whether God's plans have actually become your plans. Whether your dreams and ambitions and goals for your children are actually about the kingdom of God. Repenting is not just about inviting Jesus to help you achieve your agenda. It's about turning your life around to get on board with Jesus' agenda. There's a Sons of Korah song I love. Sons of Korah, they're a band from Melbourne. And the um, first verse goes like this. You say that you're following Jesus, but I don't think you know what it means. Because all I can see is you with your dreams saying, Jesus, won't you come follow me? Does that song describe you? Jesus, here's my plans. Here's my ambitions for life. How about you come and help me achieve them? Is that what your prayer life is like? A shopping list. Jesus, make my life better. Help my work situation to be better. Help me find the right house. Help my health to be better. Because sadly, for some people who claim to be Christians, what I see from the outside is their life is about themselves. Their hobbies. Their comfort. Their job future. Their choice of boyfriend or girlfriend. And Jesus is just tacked onto their life like a personal trainer, like someone to make their life better. Jesus is there to give them some advice if they like it. Jesus is there to come through for them on their plans. And as for talking to people about Jesus or putting myself out for Jesus, no thanks, That, that, that doesn't suit me. That is not living for the kingdom. Repentance is about dying to self Dying to your own goals, crucifying your own ambitions, living for the kingdom of God. You're not the king, God is. He's calling you to stop living with yourself as king and start living with Him as king. To have Jesus' priorities as your priorities. We're telling people about Jesus is right in the middle of your agenda because it's on God's agenda. Where God's agenda is your agenda. Jesus is calling you to live for his kingdom. And why would you refuse? He's powerful. He's good. And when he comes, his kingdom is going to be fantastic. You don't want to miss out on it. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we can be so selfish and get so wrapped up in our own lives and even as your people we push you way off to the side. We're sorry for that. We're sorry for failing to live with Jesus as our King. And please forgive us. But thank you that Jesus was not like that. Thank you that he never did anything for himself but at the center of his life was to serve you and to serve us, the people he died for. And we pray that at the center of our lives would be to serve him and to live for his kingdom. Amen.